All right, welcome to episode eight of Poets and Lunatics podcast. I'm James Pinelli, your host, joined with my good friend Jesse Lee Yarbrough, the fantastic. That's right. <laughs> I I concur. <laughs> How you doing today, Jesse? I'm doing well, doing well. How about yourself, James? Not bad, not bad. Got coffee in me, so ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a good episode for you folks today. It's our John Williams episode. Heck yeah! I'm excited. So let's dive right in, Jesse. I think uh, you uh, recently were just seeing John Williams. I was. We were at coffee the other. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't don't make uh, everyone it. jealous. Yeah, I know, right? Heavy. That'd be a dream. Um, yeah, John Williams had a concert at the Hollywood Bowl, and through uh, luck of the draw, I was able to get a ticket. Um, it was packed, and um, a friend of mine was able to score me a ticket, and we sat pretty close to the front. And, nice. Um, it was a great night of music. Um, How was he in person? Was he personable? At yeah, least? yeah. You know, it was interesting because before he came, he split the concert with um, the... Um, I believe his name was, uh, I can't remember his first name. It was a guy by the name of Newman, and he's, he's not... Paul? No. Uh, no, he's, yeah. yeah, Paul Newman. Uh, <laughs> no. Henry. He's, was it Henry Newman? Uh, it might have been. It, it was. There's a few Newman uh, guys who are, like Randy Newman, who did the music yes. of Toy Story. Uh, some of them are cousins, and they're related and whatnot. Yeah. Anyway, this particular one... It's a good family. Uh, his dad, I, I believe it was his dad, or maybe one of his older generations, maybe an uncle or something, was also a composer back in the the earlier days of film. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this this guy, um, he split the concert with this guy um, sort of half and half. Nice. And then John Williams came out for the second part. And John Williams is great. It, you know, the, they were saying well, he's probably splitting the, um, the, the whole concert because John Williams is like 84 years old, which... It's astounding me. I'm like, man, it was crazy. When he came out to direct, I just felt like he was so active. I couldn't hmm. tell at all. Um, yeah, it was great. As he was talking to the audience, he was totally personable. You know, his mind is all there. You know, he's, nice. he's very, very mentally acute. And when he directed, I mean, everything obviously sounded great. I mean, he had a lot of energy as he was conducting the orchestra. And um, it was such a good experience. So, yeah, he was very great to just, like, see, and he was interacting with us and everything. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I, I'm actually, I didn't realize he was 84. Yeah. yeah wow. Because yeah. that, I mean. I mean, if just, you think about how much he's done in his career. You could say that again. I mean, talk about being prolific. He's won five Oscars. Yeah. He's had He's been nominated for 39. Yeah, uh, yeah, twenty-two other nominations mm-hmm. and a hundred, according to IMDb.com, one hundred and eighty-seven film credits That's... for being in the music department. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's, <laughs> he's our modern-day Bach yeah. for crying out loud, just yeah, yeah. with how much he's been making. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some some composer somewhere really mad at me for comparing him to Bach. <laughs> he has no idea what you're talking about, yeah. James. I'm sure, but uh, whatever. That... <laughs> uh, there's Mozart and then uh, Duke Ellington. Actually, um, jazz jazz composer. I think he wrote more pieces than anybody else. At least that's Duke. what I learned when I was in music school. Um, but yeah, John Williams has, has certainly done quite a bit, you know, for his career. Yeah, so, that's. You got to think how far back his career goes. I think he was he's composing and doing stuff in the '60s, '70s, maybe even before then. Was he was he around the '50s? I can't remember. 
We could look yeah, it up. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's not worry about that. Uh, <laughs> dates, wanna, names wanna... and dates, they kind of yeah. just, my, my mind is a boneyard with all sorts of stuff, <laughs> that stuff being buried. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, can, I, can I share a little more about the concert, though? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the concert was great. Um, one of the, the cool things that they had at the Hollywood Bowl, they have a few big screens. So what John Williams did is, as he was uh, going through certain pieces, he's first of all he started out with Hook, which is great. I mean, that's one of my favorite Steven Spielberg music. And music uh, that's uh, brilliant. Yeah, it's like uh, Steven Spielberg movies, great. And if if there are any John Williams fans out there that they know that anytime, and or if there are any Steven Spielberg fans as well, they know that anytime Steven Spielberg makes a movie, he always goes to John Williams. Yeah. Uh, because what. Steven Spielberg can do with a camera, John Williams can do with the audio. So my, my buddy Chris Brumley brought up the fact that um, he was just talking about the sound that John Williams creates with his compositions and, and what he evokes emotionally. And he brought up Jurassic Park. He goes, if you think about Jurassic Park and you listen to the soundtrack, it sounds like dinosaurs. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, and John Williams has quite a gift for being able to do that uh, better than most, I would say. To capture the imagination of a uh, of a director and, exactly, and yeah. then translate it yeah. uh, into audio waves. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So <sighs> it was really cool at this this concert. They on the screens they would play footage from each one of the movies. They, they didn't have any from Hook. They just started with Hook, um, just the the piece. But then, you know, he did some of the music from the new Star Wars. Actually, they, they did, uh, as they were doing the Star Wars stuff, The there was a compilation of footage from all of the Star Wars yeah. movies that have been made so far, yeah. which was pretty cool to see. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think of what else. They did E.T. They did uh, the new BFG movie, which I wasn't aware of. Oh, wow, I, yeah. I, I had not seen it. I didn't know he I hadn't the, seen it either. Yeah, Actually, most people haven't before. seen it, but uh, I yeah. hear it's a good movie. I also hear that. So maybe we should go see it. Check it out. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have any questions about the concert, but that's my impression of overall. Was, it was just a great experience. I, I guess my question would be, how, what do I have to do to get in next year? Oh, you go buy a ticket, <laughs> oh, and then you walk in the front door. Oh, <laughs> come on. You're not um, going to hook me up with the any. More, the most complex part about that question is navigating through Hollywood to be able to park somewhere and yeah. actually get yourself out of your car into the bowl. But in terms of the technicalities of you know, how to get into the bowl, all you got to do is buy a ticket. <laughs> well, okay. I was hoping you would say, "Well, I'll get you a ticket next year, James." Don't worry about it. Yeah. I got you. Actually, I should mention, James, that uh, you were at the Dodgers game. My friend called me and said, "Hey, we have an extra ticket because my sister can't go anymore. Do you have anybody else who wants to go?" And I thought James would be perfect for this, but lo and behold, you are not available. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I guess it's. I was just having too much fun. I, I had. I had two great evenings and just. One evening to spend it in. Um, the uh, the thing that I I was what really struck me about what you were saying is when you talked about Hook mm-hmm. and um, how John Williams is able to capture the the spirit of what the director mm-hmm. imagined right through his music. 
And when I when I listen to Hook now, I have to confess, I haven't actually seen the movie. Mm-hmm. But I've been told many times they ought to see it. Yeah, and you're a- you're and, a terrible person, James. You're a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> there was a certain young can, lady can, that did hold that view because I haven't seen Hook. Oh, really? So, uh, yes. You can't, you can't bash on somebody for lack of knowledge. I was just kidding. <laughs> I don't think you're a terrible person. I mean, not because of that, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, in any case... I I have read Peter Pan though. That's one oh. of my favorite books mm-hmm. of ever of mm-hmm. all time. I right. love that book. And when I first read it, I remember being incredibly depressed by how at, you know the book ended up where you know the boys and everyone had to grow up. It, so in my mind, it was a story about children growing up mm-hmm. and the sadness that that is, just right. how you lose your youth. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see it. I'm sure. Uh, Barry, the composer, saw it as a. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he saw his own children growing up, and there was a sense of sadness mm-hmm. to see, you know, to have to let go, to to have to detach from that. Right. And when I listen to the soundtrack from Hook, that comes to me that mm-hmm. that very much the nostalgia, the pain of having to let go. Yeah. is 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 very real and it's tangible and i think it's magnificent that so I, even though i didn't see the movie i'm getting mm-hmm. that feel that yeah, same yeah, feel yeah, that yeah. i had when i first read the book <laughs> yeah yep so john williams i think is is fascinating but what struck you about his his music in in hook for you personally though well uh as i you know i haven't seen it for a little while but it was one of my favorite movies to watch growing up and the thing that struck me is as the music was playing, it would go through the different themes, uh, you know, sort of light motifs of, of the different characters. And um, as each thing started playing, as each little theme started playing, all I could think, uh, I thought, oh, that, that's that that scene with the Lost Boys, you know. Yeah. Or it was it was evoking imagery from the movie, and every time something, some new theme came, oh, that's where you know. Hook first shows up, you know, and yeah. that's where Peter Pan, you know, regains his his childlike youth and all that stuff. Yeah, so that was one of the things that really struck me is as I was listening to it, it was evoking a lot of imagery yeah. of the movie. You know, that's awesome. Which, yeah, it took me back to yeah, it was very very nostalgic for me. Well, why don't we uh, play a section of the Hook soundtrack for the audience? I think we might get a kick out of that. All right, let's do it.
Wow. That was, yeah, that was great. I, now, yeah. If you, if you haven't seen Hook, check it out. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to. I have to. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the elephant in the room for John Williams is Star Wars. That's true. Wait, there are no elephants in Star Wars. <laughs> this is true. There are there are tantons though. Or, <laughs> yeah, did, I, yeah, yeah. did I pronounce Tan- that right? Tantons. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all you Star Wars fanatics out there. <laughs> don't don't leave angry comments for me. <laughs> so I have to say, the thing that the one constant as far as Star Wars. Now we can rant about how. You know, the first three, their episodes one, two, and three were terrible and mm-hmm. just didn't live up to four, five, and six. And, how, and, you know, the room is pretty well divided on seven, although most people are more negative the, now mm-hmm. after, after all the yeah, hype yeah, has yeah. kind of died away. Right. But the one constant that no one ever argues on is that the music yeah. is always amazing. Oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> what? Okay. Really Musically, what would be your favorite movie? I'm curious. Uh, from John Williams? From no, from Star Wars. Oh, music from the oh, okay, seven. Okay. Ooh, that's a really good. That's a really good question. Uh, I think that probably the last one. Episode um, seven. Episode. No, no, no. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Episode seven. Yeah. That's really. Or no, no, no. Episode six. What I meant to say is the last one of the original first yes. Yeah, yes. trilogy. Episode six. Yeah, and I think huh. because you get all of the major Star Wars themes, obviously the opening and the the different themes, you get the Han and Leia theme, um, which I have a funny story about that. I'd like to just take Go for a break it right now. Uh, John Williams at the concert, he played that, and it was funny because he had mentioned that when... <laughs> This is hilarious. He said when he first wrote it, he didn't know that there was going to be a second movie. George Lucas had not shed any of that light on him. And so when he wrote it, he meant it to be, you know, when when, when Luke first walks into Leia's, uh, her cell to save her and he sees her and that's when the theme starts playing. You know, and he's, you could, you know. The The Luke and Leia theme. Yeah, exactly. And so John Williams was making it to be a romantic theme between those two. And that's what his purpose was. was <laughs> he wanted to evoke that, like the first time that Luke saw her, that uh, the audience knew that he was smitten by her. And so when he wrote that, he put that in I there. got that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it worked really well. And maybe George Lucas had that plan all along because he wanted that reveal to, you know, he wanted the music to be that way. Um, and then obviously in the second movie, it's... Reveal or uh, excuse me, a third movie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's revealed that they're um, spoiler alert so for I, those who haven't seen Star Wars. They're siblings. Shame on you. Yeah. if you haven't. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was it was pretty funny because he he was I, like, he's like they didn't clue me in that there was going to be a second and third movie, and they certainly didn't clue, certainly didn't clue me in that uh, um, Luke and Leia were siblings. So and so I was promoting <laughs> incest. Yeah. Thank you a lot, uh, Lucas. Man. That was not what I had in mind yeah. when I composed that. That's awesome. I could just see that conversation oh, happening yeah, now. Yeah, seriously. Lucas, please. Yeah. I, I have morals. Yeah. We cross, and I crossed the line without knowing. Uh, anyway, so um, what I was going to say is my favorite musically. The third movie has some really great scenes. Uh, my favorite is when Luke... And Darth Vader are having their final sort of lightsaber battle before 
Luke gives up his lightsaber for good. Uh, it's right when he um, it's like cuts when, the, off. when there's the the vo- oh, yeah yeah there's yeah there's a lot of choral swells. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great moment. And then the other one I would say is also in in the third one, and it's when uh, Yoda um, transpires. Hmm. You know, uh, the music that is playing there evokes so much emotion. Uh, it's yeah, it's I mean that that part to me because you get to know Yoda as this really wise old sage, and when he passes on, you know, the music that John Williams uses for that scene is just brilliant. I think so. Yeah, I would say out of all the movies, I would say Episode Six would have to be my favorite. Should we play a couple scenes from episode six? Yeah. Which one do you want to play? Uh, let's play the one where... Darth uh, Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah, let's play the Darth Vader one. Okay. Effectively, he uses that. And obviously, we we don't have video to go along with this. But if if there's anybody out there, you watch episode six. Uh, I know everybody's favorite is episode five, but if you watch episode six, there's some really really great moments. Oh yeah. In that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, musically, I would say, I would say that six is superior musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I okay five. I I I prefer. I right. prefer five. And we we can argue about this because I know you prefer six. But yeah. Well, and we'll I, argue I about understand that later. why people prefer yeah, five. But we'll, we'll argue about that in a non-John John Williams episode. Yeah. But actually, my favorite uh, of the Star Wars is what I think is the the worst, the the worst Star Wars uh, episode two. Interesting. Uh, I yeah. think that that one has some of the most magnificent music. Mm-hmm. That that's true. I just yeah. love it. The the theme for that terrible romance between <laughs> yeah, the... Padme and Anakin oh, yeah. is one of the most gorgeous themes yeah. I've ever heard in in, in yeah, music yeah, yeah. and film. Right. It's 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 magnificent. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I feel bad that John Williams had to be like, how am I going to work with this? And somehow <laughs> he overcomes he did things it. like that. Yeah. He did it. Like I <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I I still did not like the romance. I mean. 
being able to I'm sure women everywhere were just entranced with being able to marry the future Mrs. Darth Vader. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But it sounded good in music. Yeah, 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 yeah. It did. Let's play good a couple. Kudos, John Williams. Kudos. Let's play a couple, huh? A All couple right. minutes. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. So one of the things that strikes me when we're talking about old John mm-hmm. is how he borrows so much. Oh, that John Williams. He rips off so much. <laughs> you, I, me thinks you're not quite sincere with that line. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it's funny. People will bring this up, and um, uh, there are a few examples where he's, he's clearly... Uh, Riding the line of copyright issues, uh, <laughs> but he must have so he must lawyer up quite a bit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, no, not really, because a lot of the people he quotes are dead. Well, <laughs> Seventy years after expiration. Smart. Yeah. So all you composers out there, yeah. if you're gonna steal, just take it from, from people who are dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's, the, what's the year? 2016. I th- yeah, I think it's 80 years. Yeah, or is it, is I that... thought it was 70. Well, if it's Either 2016, okay. you, yeah. Hedge your bets. Just go with a, a composer that's been dead for 100 years. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. We're so, so sometimes helpful. it's pretty blatant. Um, I can think of a few uh, if we want to play them. Uh, one that I can think of is... Now, I played a, a Debussy piece on my recital called The Girl with the Flaxen Hair when I did my recital for my jazz performance degree. Mm. And in that piece the high point of the piece um Debussy is sort of uh, making his way up the piano using a pentatonic scale and when he gets to the top he has these really beautiful chords mm-hmm. um and he yeah it's very in the high range and it's a very like this is the climax like, you know you can tell John Williams 
lifts that climax and puts it in a scene with um, in the episode one of Star Wars where Anakin uh, first fires up his pod racer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after he's trying to been get it, he's been trying to get it working. He's all excited, and the, you know the the emotions high because oh he's he's got it working and all this. Stuff. You know, Anakin's like it's working, it's working, and uh, pretty cheesy scene. Slap yeah. him, just yeah, yeah, slap him. Yeah. But John Williams did a great job with that. But he took this out and used it in a way that was so strategic, um, and it worked. I mean, so yeah, I don't. Do we want to play that? Let's do it. All right. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what are, what are you, what are some ones that you can think of? Um, well, one of the big ones is Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, mm-hmm. and uh, the Star Wars. One of the Star Wars themes, I think it's Dune Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, well, should we take a listen real quick? Let's do it. Okay, yeah, those strings. Uh, I mean, you play like you play them one over the other, and right. you can't almost make out the difference. Right, 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 right. It's it's pretty blatant at that point. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't seriously have a problem with it. At least in that case, I think right. the uses for each, like they're used in completely different ways. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and I come from a school of jazz musicians where we're taught to rip people off. And I buy that not, uh, there was a <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good school. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I mean is... Do okay, they, do they have pickpockets class the, also? Yeah, if you think about... <laughs> if you think about the development of music, right? Even in Gregorian chant, when, when, uh, when people were first notating music, back in the Middle Ages, you know, um, you had this, this concept called... Cantus firmus. Okay. Um, what is that? Cantus firmus is where you'd have. Uh, so let's say somebody would write, uh, a, you know, some sort of like an Ave Maria or something like that. Okay. Um, and they would have a particular vocal melody to that. Cantus firmus would be another person takes that melody and uses it as a firm. A firmus means firm. So they have that on the bottom. Um, that melody being sung throughout this other piece that somebody would kind of write over the top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, and you have this in so many different instances throughout. I mean, even in box time, he he would borrow you know different yeah. different composers. Um, in fact, most of the jazz musicians in the 20th century uh, did a lot of musical borrowing from the classical musicians, mm-hmm. and um, it's pretty apparent when you listen to certain things. Uh, just the the whole concept of modal jazz, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. You had bebop with Charlie Parker, and then modal jazz sort of followed suit with some of the 20th century composers, where instead of having a lot of chord changes, you know, for every bar, modal compositions were like something like, um, what's the guy's, uh, he's a French composer that was around Debussy's time, um, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a piece called Bolero, Mm -hmm. do you know which the guy I'm talking about? Uh, Ravel, Ravel. Is okay, so, okay. Ravel wrote this piece called Bolero. It was sort of an orchestration exercise, and instead of having multiple chords, you know, every bar, he'd have one chord for like numerous, numerous bars, mm-hmm. and he was using more rhythm and melody to try to keep it interesting, rather than all these chord changes. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of jazz musicians took those concepts and put them in their music. Uh, and then even like oh, you know, it's, I was I mentioned Charlie Parker before. And if you talk to any saxophone player today who's a professional jazz musician, chances are they've gone through a Charlie Parker uh, studies book where yeah. they just learned a crap load of Charlie Parker transcriptions. And and it, mm-hmm. you know, in the jazz music, musician community, a lot of people get applauded for wow. You know, when they play a bebop piece, he really, you know, he really played the changes really well on that. He he can shred over that. Well, a lot of those guys are just taking vocabulary from the original bebop artists. You know, ah. Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, you know, Thelonious and those guys. Um, so, to me, it's interesting that people will rag on John Williams for stealing when there are clearly, like, many other people who do it all the time. Um yeah, you know, I, I my instructor Michael Coker at, at ASU, he used to say, you know, good good artists borrow, but great artists steal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my old dad told me growing up, uh, and I was writing papers, and he was like, you know, son, what they call when uh, you steal from one person, and and he go and I, I go, no, dad, what what do they call it? And he goes, that's plagiarism. But you know what they call when you steal from a lot of people? That's research. <laughs> uh, so I like yeah, it. I like it. <laughs> it's true I, that all all good artists, in one capacity or another, stand upon the the shoulders, the shoulders of giants, the shoulders yeah. of people that artists, great artists that came before them. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not just in music. Right. Uh, there, you look at Shakespeare. Shakespeare mm-hmm. stole from the great stories that, like the Iliad and the yeah. Aeneid, uh, yeah. the, the Greeks, uh-huh. and all good literists steal from Shakespeare now. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's uh, like one of my favorites, Tolkien. Uh, mm-hmm. Like one of the, the phrases, all that, uh, his famous phrases for Aragorn, all that is gold does not glitter, mm-hmm. is straight from a sonnet, or it might even be a, a play of Shakespeare. Right, right. I'm sure someone out there that's listening can correct me on that, but it's, right. it's, it's, it's just a part of art. Right, right. You can't, yeah. you don't create in a vacuum anywhere. Right, exactly. I think art happens to people who are artists. Uh, I think that's part of being an artist is realizing that you have had some sort of inspiration from some other source. And so a lot of times um, to get that inspiration, you uh, 
you take art in, and that's what art is for, is to edify your soul. And when these things come, becomes, they form you so much, mm-hmm. and you want to share them with other people, they come out in ways that, you know, uh, they seem like, you know, they could be stealing. But to me, it's more like um, an homage to whoever your influences yeah. are. Yeah. You know, I, I have tons of drummers, you know, as a, a jazz drummer, I, I was taught in this way of like, you transcribe and you learn other people's solos. Uh, that way you can incorporate them into your own and you, you put your own twist on it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think it's in the, in that sense, I think it's necessary because you need to study good art if you want to be a good artist. Right. Like nobody would go to a, if, if you went to a doctor, to you had two doctors, would you want the doctor who tried to figure everything out himself about the human body or would you want the one who'd study all the doctors before him and all their research? I'd take the latter. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't... Uh, so when it comes to John Williams having these quote ripoffs, I, I am I don't have a problem with it at all. You know, <laughs> I think he does it yeah. in such a strategic way where, and it works for what he's doing. You know, I I think it completely works, and the fact that so many people have a problem with it mm-hmm. is speaks to something you see a lot of art, in artists, especially young artists who are not successful. Mm-hmm. Is oh I got to be my own have my own voice i need to i need to you know do my own thing and and there you know a lot of these artists that i talk to are very concerned about that they they, they're worried and i have never quite understood that because the only thing that i can create is my own thing yeah now i catch myself being bored with myself Uh some from time to time like okay this this could be i'm bored i'm gonna redo this like because i'm boring myself and that's fine because it's just myself, and no one else will know, and I'll, <laughs> I'll get better. But it's it, it, there's a huge worry here where people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I can't, so it's been done before. i got to redo some, do something different yeah, or yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, to some degree, maybe all, people that consume art wish that more artists were worried about that. There wouldn't be as many remakes or sequels right. or stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, just from the artistic point of view, stand, borrow from John Williams. I mean, not now he's alive. Maybe he he would sue you. But when Uh he's dead in 80 years from now, I'm sure people will be. Yeah. People will be borrowing from him. Uh Uh-huh. So it's it's just the rite of passage for any great artist. Yeah. 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 And I think something, and this is a little bit switching gears here, but I wanted to mention it because we're running out of time. And um, coming from a director's point of view, the uh, it's 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 very vulnerable to a director to hand over a a piece of a film that you have to someone who has an expertise that really most directors know nothing about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I was a music minor, so I know a little bit about it, but still I know next to nothing compared Mm -hmm. to the composers that I work with and, you know, this amount of study that you've done. Um, So... It's you, and it's it's fascinating to me that I'm not the only the director that feels vulnerable with that. I mean, I remember listening to Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. talking about how they feel with working with composers, oh, yeah. yeah, and how they're like petrified. Oh yeah, handing it over, and I'm I'm shocked because holy cow, these giants feel like oh my, like insecure yeah. in handing it over, right. and they're titans mm-hmm. of. Of, of the directors right. that, that have ever walked the face of this planet. Mm-hmm. And we still have, we have to do it. We need that. We yeah. know the amount of power is in the music. And mm-hmm. so we walk that line and people like John Williams, who are able to capture, like we said at the very beginning, the soul of mm-hmm. the story. Right. 
is is they're just so rare, and that's why someone like Steven Spielberg and John Williams will only are will only work together. Steven Spielberg will only work with John Williams. I mean, right. Same thing with Lucas. Uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, I've been blessed with the, uh, the composers that I've worked with, but uh, I, and I, I'm just looking forward to working with those composers again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fascinating, right? Uh, and and frightening at the same time. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's tough to. It's like handing your baby to someone else. Yes. You know? Don't drop the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I have a baby, I'm sure one day I'll think like, okay, it's, yeah. uh, it's not quite the same. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure all the mothers who are listening to this are like, that guy's an idiot. You don't know what having a baby is about at all. <laughs> but it it seems like an apt an apt comparison to me yeah, at this point. I mean, yeah. Sub creation. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Dorothy O'Sara is there. We should talk about that in a future episode. Mm-hmm. But in case, Jesse Lee, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, yeah, this is a great topic. I'm really glad. I know. I think this, this, this was a lot of fun. And uh, we're recording not from Santa Monica today, but from your own personal recording studio in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I, one of your, uh, one of your buddies stuck his head in and is like, are you recording? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are. Now get out of the room. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But, but I enjoyed it. So thanks, Jesse. Absolutely. And thank you, James. You're welcome. And I appreciate you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Poets and Music. Music.